You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. Misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Cam Harless. And with me as always <laughs> is your spent the day in the sun planting seeds and actually doing something fruitful and edifying hostess, Miss Jessica Green. Hi, how are you? Doing, Jessica? How are you? I'm wonderful. <laughs> how are you doing? I am I am doing all right. It was quite the day, but I, I got a new bottle and I'll be I'll be trying out this uh Michter's small batch Kentucky straight bourbon as we oh. talk tonight. Um, all right. Our guest is currently getting everything sorted out on his end. And uh, I'm sure he'll give me a thumbs up when he's ready to, to bust in. And uh, I'll introduce him then. But I did want to ask you about something. Did you see uh, w- one of the things I love about um, Donald Trump being kicked off of Twitter is that he has to do this old school thing now where he doesn't yeah. get on Twitter and tweet his thoughts about things. He uh, he it's, it's like he's sending faxes. You have to mail like, you a letter with a stamp. Right. <laughs> Statement of Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. Georgia's election reform law, which people are freaking out about and lying about constantly at this point. Yes. Um, he, he decided to weigh in on it because people are mad about all these new provisions and stuff. And uh, he, he, he sent out a, a press release saying Georgia's election reform law is far too weak and soft to ensure real ballot integrity. Election day is supposed to be election day, not election week or election month. Far too many days are given to vote. Too much mischief can happen during this very long period of time. You saw that in the 2020 presidential election. How's Ruby Freeman going? Governor Brian Kemp and Georgia Secretary of State should be should have eliminated no excuse, widespread mass mail-in voting, gotten rid of the dangerous and unsecure drop boxes, not insecure, unsecure, and That's should have scary. kept and expanded signature verification to do matches against the historical voter file, among other things. Hope the rhinos are happy. Kemp also caved to the radical weffling woke mob who threatened to call him racist if he got if he got rid of weekend voting. Well, he kept it, and they still call him racist. It's just, mm, what a man. Yeah. I, I do want to to talk about this because I find it hilarious. Um, but before we do that, I do think that we should introduce our guest, who we are face doxing. Actually, I said, I said, hey, I want you to come on the show, but I like seeing people's faces. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, you know what? I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. He, he Aww, said, you know, if you can get lovely. Hotep Jesus and Thaddeus Russell, I'll let you show my face to the people. Uh, so joining wow. us tonight is a corn boy, a man of many talents who spends his days with his nose deep in the Holy Scriptures and Rothbard. A pastor, a podcaster, and a proud resident of a flyover state. The host of the Flyover Libertarian podcast with two other dudes I have to assume have names. The Iowa Ancap himself. How you doing, Josh? Oh, sorry. I didn't see you there. <laughs> Classic Josh. <laughs> How you doing, Cam? I'm, doing I'm, glad we, right. uh, I'm glad we get to do this. Uh, 
since our last uh, time we recorded, it was just too good for the world. The world wasn't ready for it. So it wasn't, you know, what happened was, was we hate the antichrist, but the antichrist decided he wanted to throw as many pop (laughs) kisses and horrible ear shattering sounds into that recording as possible. So I was like, I can't, can't share it. That's right. The antichrist ruined my ability to uh, use a microphone. (laughs) So in other words, the Antichrist can be defeated by a pop filter. (laughs) Yes, yes. Or uh, even a modicum of technical ability. Uh, Good to know. I mean, I'm glad that, you know, there are tools available. But hey, I'm 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 glad to be here. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad to talk to you in person instead of over characters on Twitter. And, uh, And to your audience, I am... So sorry you got confused about which night Scott Horton was on. That's tomorrow night. This is the weirdo from Iowa. So just just so, take the rest of the night okay. off. You'll be all right. What's so funny is I I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I have way too many children and such little time at this point that I just I, I just can't. But um I was I was telling people to come watch this, and I was like, we have the second coolest host of the flyover libertarian podcast because i had no idea you added a third when did that happen <laughs> <laughs> well uh our friend uh, another friend of ours um that we knew from in person he uh he uh um he was on our show twice to talk about um talk about bitcoin and stuff that we know nothing about and then eventually we we're just like should we talk more about this or should we just make him an official member of the podcast so uh it's kind of how it happened. Uh, we made him an official member so that um, we didn't have to keep having him on to hang out with him. <laughs> More podcast hosts are made that way than it would seem. That's exactly yeah. how Cam got me. <laughs> oh, boy. How many were you, were you on before before we just went with it? Like I think five, five, maybe? Yeah, there were five episodes that I was a guest, but they were like all in a row. And so yeah. I was like, hey, are we going to stop pretending that I'm not your co-host? Or right. he's like, I would like to stop pretending that as well. So His that's dastardly how... plan. Yeah. <laughs> Boiled me like a frog. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think <laughs> of uh, Donald Trump taking like everyone of the, the kind of the general consensus has been the left is saying that this is bad for voting and it's going to destroy our democracy please um but you know th- this is horrible and and it's all lies i don't know if you've read the bill but everything that they're saying is incredibly trumped up and stupid um and then all trump the republicans does. are like no 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 this is this isn't bad this does good things and trump's like wrong <laughs> wrong bad <laughs> i love it you're really good at that i don't know anything about the bill um I, I just know what it's called racist. That means it must be doing something right. Um, but all I know is just Twitter is just such a less exciting place since Trump is off of it. And so I think someone needs to start a Twitter channel that is dedicated to just retweeting his boomer uh, l- newsletter things. Like someone just needs to start up a, an account to send that. There is and, a, uh, an yeah. account on on Twitter. I don't know if I follow it but I've seen it a few times and it's literally just a person who goes on and tweets as though he is Trump and how Trump would tweet <laughs> about things that are going on right now. And it's perfect. If I can find that, that account, I'll share it. Nice. It's beautiful. I love yep. anyone that can get into that ridiculous voice of Trump. Like it's, 
it, like it's so good and i love doing it but i can't do it long-winded i can't do a long-winded trump impression but i can i can do a china china because he doesn't say china there's no ch in yeah. that it's china it's the second half of vagina and that's how yeah. donald trump says it <laughs> that's right i mean it's, it's kind of like there's code words that help you get into uh an accent that's it you just start with china yeah. right yeah and eventually you're there <laughs> Yeah, the the the, the it's, it's my drop in phrase. Drop in yeah. phrase. <laughs> I used to do right. a lot of accents and um, impressions when I was younger. I don't think I can do many now, but I have like the the most retarded drop in phrase that I have is for Scotland, or it's, it's for doing a Scottish accent, which is um, uh, what, you better shut your mouth before I shut it for you. Hey, yeah. that's good. That's but that's a hard like. <laughs> I wouldn't a, know, but at top of the Martin, <laughs> I mean that's that's easy to kind of you know yeah. say low key enough, but it's like no, but I feel like you're threatening me, and you might yeah, be right. drunk. So there's yeah. some of the authenticity, which in feels that. yeah, it feels <laughs> Scottish, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've uh, never done accents. Back when I was a theater nerd, I did mostly silly voices. I never did any accents. I did once. Oh, I uh, have to learn. What's that? I said I didn't know you were a theater nerd. I was that in was theater. my first major at college. Oh, then I found out I hated theater people. Oh yeah, and so yeah, well, that's, that's why not, I did that's theater. I did. <laughs> that, that, that's why I did theater and stopped doing theater because I was like, these dramatic people, please leave me alone. I don't. Not I don't need much. this. I yeah, don't need I, all that. Being a film major, the worst part was having to draw from the theater department for student films because you're like, so because you never know, because unless you go and watch these horrible plays that they would do in college, like you didn't know if these were going to be people who could only act for the stage and could only, you know, project and couldn't do the subtle, the small, the... And so it was always a roll of the dice. And so, you know, we're we're doing this really deep scene and there was this guy named uh, Micah. And it's like, yes, this is a very somber moment. And I'm like, but you need to look at this woman who you loved. But I need you to, in the, I, what I want you to do is I want you to think about how much you love her. Think of her as an angel. Look at her face like she's beautiful and gorgeous and wonderful. And then over the course of the conversation, I need you to start imagining as if maggots are coming out of her eyes or through, through her pores. I need disgust. Oh I need you to look at her and see something like that and so this guy like most people that had done film acting before were able to kind of go okay so i know what you're getting at i need to find (laughs) some kind of mental image of disgust because of what she's saying and this guy goes he goes from like to like i'm like (laughs) theater actor too much too much true yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's awful so my theater I was going to say, my theater people experience is that I didn't go to college after high school. I moved to the city and I became a waitress with all the people that had gone to theater school and then became nothing and had to also became waitresses. So my group of friends um, right out of high school coming into the big world were a bunch of theater majors who couldn't do anything with it. So the resounding. Yeah. 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 You know, or, you know, all kinds of jobs, but definitely nothing to do with the theater and i think one person out of that entire group ended up uh, becoming a voice actor and actually does work in mainstream voice acting now so super proud of her 
but nobody else did anything with it. So, you know, that's a waste yeah. of money. Don't do it. It's, and, and it's not like all the theater people sucked. It's just enough of them that I was like, man, I just can't, I just can't do this. Like that, that really was what it came down to is I couldn't be around them. And uh, so I, I, uh, I, I bugged out and became another worthless major, which is English. So, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think one of my favorite things about making films and being in the film department were dealing with theater actors who thought they were leading men. Because when you're in theater, a lot of times you can be a leading man when you're really a character actor. Like you're, mm. you, you don't, you don't pull off leading. And it was always having those conversations before films. I know you want to be the lead, but you don't look like the lead. And I know that that's very shallow, but it's I'm reality. sorry, Nate. You 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 look like nerdy best friend number three. So work with us. <laughs> and it's kind of like there's a there's an ex, like an aspect to which that's like life. Like some people like some people cannot be the lead person. Like there's just right. you gotta be. Sometimes you just need to be the best nerdy friend number three you can be, you know? Like, See, yeah. Is that what, are you nerdy friend number three on the Flyover Libertarian podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the one that turned the mic off when I talk too much. So uh, whichever one that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me, let me ask you. So I'm from the South and you know this because I know you've listened to some of my rants about different Couple. things. Um, but I'm from the South. I'm from Alabama. So we get crapped on so much. We get crapped on a little differently than quote unquote flyover states, which I hear sure. is a very insulting thing to call your state. I, I don't. Yeah, but we're in two days to one. say anything about it. <laughs> 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 but l let me ask, like, uh, because, you know, today, what was it? Oh, there was a conversation on Twitter and a person was, was some bougie progressive was arguing that um, anarchy wouldn't work because uh, people in Alabama, if they didn't have the government, would lynch black people and gays. And I was like, sounds like Alabama, right? Would we? <laughs> <laughs> if Alabama were your worst nightmare version of something you saw in a horror movie maybe i mean the That's real question is well. why would black people and gays stay there then right like it's like <laughs> what if, if that were actually the reality of it there's no way you'd be able to get these people to to hang out they wouldn't go there yeah. and so it's like it's it's just an excuse but yeah since you're from a, a place filled with corn that right. isn't that isn't uh kansas and doesn't have Superman. Um, what is it? What is your experience with people and polit politicians and things like that? Like, do you, when you hear them talk badly about where you're from and the people where you're from, and just allude to you being you people being um, dumb, I guess. Like, what's the reaction there when you're not being too nice to people? Uh you know. Again, this this Midwest nice though does kind of make us like you know like we, we kind of I don't know it's like politicians don't actually do it that much because they all have to start with us 
Like that's kind of the advantage of being like the first in the country uh, caucuses is that they have to start with us. So they can't rag on Iowa too much because their campaign could make or break with us. You know? Yeah. Um, it's more from like television where mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like I remember watching a cartoon when I was, uh, uh, I don't know, high school or something like that. Cause uh, I, I plateaued early. Uh, but I, I remember watching this, this cartoon where they're visiting Des Moines, Iowa and first of all, Des Moines is a sizable city. Like mm-hmm. it's it's very urban. Like it's a it's a city. And so they plop down in the middle of a cornfield and these people are running around in bib overalls and no shirt, drinking out of triple X <laughs> jugs and speaking in southern accents. And I'm like, did you even look at a map? We fought for the north. Like what, what is going on here? It, that was the weirdest thing that I've ever had. Or but it happens in general. Like, there's also another show, like uh, the show Supernatural. They go to South uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and mm-hmm. uh, it's like this one horse town where everybody knows your name. Like, it's a burgeoning city. Like, it's not Chicago, but it is growing <laughs> significantly. Like, mm-hmm. this that's not that's not this town. I don't know. What, right. Like a Google search would have told you otherwise, but you know they're too good for that. And I think I guess that's probably more of it is we just laugh about it. Like it's it's funny that you have no idea. You could have just Googled Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> seen what we're actually like, and then built it around there. But we just like we just laugh. You know that's all you can do because we aren't important. <laughs> well, and it's like, and I I guess I I mean you know Jessica's from essentially from Georgia. And so, you know, like Georgia gets some stuff sometimes, but Alabama, I, we get a lot of times we get more than Mississippi and Arkansas and we don't deserve that shit. Like, <laughs> I don't, we don't deserve that. <laughs> so Georgia has a very specific kind of trope about it, which is like the corrupt cop, the corrupt sheriff who will mm-hmm. like, there's a whole Reba McIntyre song about don't, don't trust your soul to no backwoods Southern lawyer. Um, the night, the night the lights went out in Georgia. That's a really famous song, but whatever you guys. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, like the corrupt sheriff is such a thing that's like connected to Georgia that that's a really hard, you know, when people do shows about being in Georgia, that's the number one thing you get pulled over by a racist cop. Who's going to like arrest you for nothing. What yeah. state did uh, my cousin Vinny take place in? Probably Georgia. <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah, kind of like the whole I'd, like. Sorry, go on. I would say I'd rather people think that we were nice and everybody knew each other's name yeah. as opposed to like Boss Hog is going to arrest you and throw you in the back yeah. of his truck. I, yes, Dukes, yeah, of ha- Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, it's that whole like. Um, <laughs> it's that whole like New Yorkers always like greatest city on earth, greatest cities on earth, and and uh, you're like, well, yeah, that, you can say that, but. I could go outside right now and not have a risk of being stabbed. So true. I win. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like, you know, when you live in one of these places, like, like they, they have, well, I think possibly some of the hatred for Alabama comes from the fact that the capital, of the Confederate States of America was in Alabama for a time. And so, you know, it's very, it's the heart of Dixie, you know, it's, it's the epitome of everything that they hate because they can't hate Virginia too much because it's way too close to them. Um, but it's like, I, I personally, like, I don't let people know when it bothers me, but it's like, there are times I'm just like, how, how bad was your schooling that you absolutely hate people that you've never met, assume racism in a place you've never been to. 
like it's like I've I've talked about this before. Alabama, what is it? Thirty plus percent black. Um, my cousin Vin, Vin, Vinny was based in Alabama. There we go. One of the two. Close though. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's just there's there's a lot of hatred for oh yeah they're about Alabama's probably thirty plus percent black, and the people that I've heard say this stuff are people from places like Seattle, who is tops eight percent black, and so it's it's like you are making these assumptions about what happens to people you don't know and haven't experienced and don't understand the you know including you know black people and then you don't know that we are people who've had to li- live and work side by side through strife for 150 years there was a lot of stuff that went down but one of the shining examples of alabama in my opinion was right when the black lives matter stuff really started back in like 2015 black lives matter had a um had an event in i want to say it was mobile alabama not mobile, mobile. And uh, they, everyone was there to protest the police and all of that. And then a bunch of, they, they went to this park, some white people showed up that weren't police and they just started talking. One of the guys brought out a barbecue pit and, you know, barbecue and they all started barbecuing and talking. The police showed up. There was a conversation and food. They had a cookout is what they did. And it was like awesome. we were seeing what was going on in Ferguson and in all of these other areas where stuff was being burned down. And the place that they hate the most had a cookout and had conversation. And I was just like, this is is what Alabama is to me. I didn't hear someone use the N-word like racistly outside of like, well, not, not in at all outside of black people until I went to, um, I went on tour and I was up in Indiana, I want to say Chicago. And one of my, uh, the guys that I was touring with was straight up called hard R N word by some guy because he ran into him while he was in a McDonald's line. Mm. And I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. And so it's, it's, it's a weird place to be. And so I just wonder what's the, what's it like in other parts of the country that I'm not privy to that I don't understand. I know kind of how it is in Pennsylvania because I lived in Pennsylvania. I know how it is in Georgia. I've lived in Georgia, but I don't know how it is in Iowa. So I was like, maybe there's something interesting. What, like, is there anything that people should, or that people assume in these States that I wouldn't be privy to? that I wouldn't even think twice about. I, I mean, like, I mean, for, for as far as like race goes, you know, we, we've got pretty much one black person in our church and uh, he voted for Trump. So, you know, like I, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. It's like, we don't have enough black people to hate them. You know, like <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of tends to be the case. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like we go to these, con- like, especially like when you're uh you're a pastor like now the big thing is the woke stuff and so you got to be like make sure your church is diverse and make sure that you're not right. segregated on sunday mornings and whatever and then like we'll go back and be like okay so there's five black people in our town uh <laughs> like how are we supposed to just go hard after those five black people like it's just it's just not it's it's uh it's just not a thing and so if there's any like i mean a lot of times it is just 
I would say there's there like I've heard of one story where this this uh, half life pastor was ap- applying for a church, and they were like, well, okay, so he, he's on the phone with them and being like, so I'm half black, is that going to be a problem? And they're like, no, 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 we got we had George two years ago, and so they it's like this <laughs> reverse thing, you're like no, no, we know George, George is cool, so you're probably all cool. Oh God, oh that's <laughs> painful. <laughs> It's pretty funny, yeah. But but like that's that's it's probably more the opposite thing. Like I I know I know black people; they're pretty nice. So you know, yeah. <laughs> so I have a sort of reverse experience of that. Cam said I'm basically from Georgia, which is mainly true. I've lived most of my life here, but my childhood was near Detroit. So there are a lot of black people in Detroit, and then I moved to Atlanta, and there's a lot of black people in Atlanta. Yeah. So my perception of what the country was like was very diverse and i went to school with you know at times i don't know 25 35 percent um which is really high uh you know comparatively to the rest of the country you said you've got one black guy at your church um in my town of seven thousand people which is a small town in georgia there's a pretty high i think 20 percent is black and there are black churches and there are white churches still Nobody creates this. Nobody says you must go to this church or you must not go to that church. Black people are welcome at the the white churches and vice mm-hmm. versa. But there's it seems to be sort of a natural preference that people still kind of adhere to. And I wouldn't, you know, bust up into the black churches and be yeah. like, hey, why aren't there more white people in here? Um, and I don't think any of the white churches would say, oh, we don't want any yeah. black people here. I'll say so, nine times out of 10, it's that the black people don't want to sing the lame songs in the white church. Like that's, that's kind of <laughs> how it ends up working. Like, like the that, acoustic the, guitar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Like they're, they're super, it's like what we do is super boring for them. And so, uh, and what they do is a bit much for us. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's really more the, the style of worship that divides us. It's not, yeah, but I mean, if a black person walks into a white church, like we don't just we don't side eye them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You know. I mean, I would assume actually you could probably get more looks. You probably get more looks being the white person walking into a, a black church than black well, person walking into a white church. I think that would be so. Yeah, I think that would be true. One of the things that they always because I don't know if you've seen like the um, the quizzes online to see how um, how oppressed you are or what is it? What's the word they use? Um, oh. I thought you were going to say something else. Oh my gosh. No, well, no, <laughs> but they, they check to see how, how a, a marginalized or oppressed you are. And one of the questions is always, have you gone to a place where everyone but you was of a different race than yourself? And were you uncomfortable? And I was, every time I see that, I'm like, yeah, dude, I walked into a all black church one time and it was awesome. Okay. <laughs> it was great. I had yeah. so much fun. <laughs> Man, they're they're pretty uh, they're pretty great. Yeah, you would definitely just, stand out as I a visitor. Just visually, you would be a visitor. That's all. Like it would Look be like oh, right there. There's the white person. I just, I just know I can't do. It. It's kind of like trying to to rap as a white person. Like I just couldn't do it all and feel like I I'm I'm uh, I just feel too white to do the whole swaying <laughs> clap thing. You know. So being from Iowa and being a pastor, I have to assume that before you became an anarchist, you were on the right. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what yeah. kind of, what kind of on the right were you? Were you neocon, right? Super neocon. 
Absolutely. Uh, like, uh, nice. I, I remember going and clapping when the going to a youth conference and clapping when the guy was like, yeah, we got to get George W. Bush elected. Otherwise this country's going to hell. And, uh, uh, super. Okay. I, I tell the story. I remember yeah. watching the Ron Paul Giuliani moment and mm-hmm. I was team Giuliani. Like I was there being like, yeah, Ron, apologize. Like I was, I was all in seriously all in. <laughs> you old like, coot. <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. 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 I, I remember so, that moment for a different reason. <laughs> so for you, what was like the crystallizing moment? What made you decide to kind of abandon that and move towards, well, ultimately, you know, the anarchist Rothbardian position? Like what was, was there a moment where you were like, oh, I can't do this anymore? Um, there was kind of a, I mean, as a person on the right, one thing mm-hmm. that I noticed very quickly was the hypocrisy of the left. And, mm-hmm. and one thing that never made sense to me was the way that um, I didn't understand why all of these issues were left issues. Like, yeah. why do you have to be like my my very conservative Republican father taught me that the right the, the Republicans and conservatives believe in a strict interpretation of the Constitution. The leftists believe in a very loose interpretation of the Constitution. And so I never understood why a loose interpretation of the Constitution also meant you have to be pro-abortion pro homosexual rights like i just was like what is this it's all groupthink but because yeah. i was on the inside doing the group thinking i didn't see the group think of my own side it was mm-hmm. really when i got to, to college and i started hearing a bunch of these and liberal my friends tell asking me hard questions that i was like okay maybe maybe i've got a little bit of group thinking me too um and so, actually, uh, I started moving in the direction of of libertarianism uh, after reading Mark Levin's "Liberty and Tyranny: <laughs> A Conservative Manifesto," because he listed liber- libertarianism as a third option. I, I love that m- the way I came to libertarianism was through Mark Levin, uh, but but they would like he but described like Cato libertarians, <laughs> yeah, Cato libertarians and reason libertarians. So that yep. was my my first uh, cosmopolitan li- libertarians. Yeah, yeah, my first uh, exposure to that, and I started like flirting with it, but then um, I kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, so I'm as far as Christianity goes, I'm a pretty conservative Christian, and it was yeah. clear that I couldn't be this and a libertarian, and so I kind of what I ended up just doing is when I went to seminary, I just took a full political fast. I didn't vote. I didn't follow politics. When people started talking about politics, I would actually stand up and leave the room. Like if I could, because I was just like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to set it aside. I'm going to focus on, on learning what I figuring out what I think about the Bible, about theology, about things like that. And then after that, I came out of it and I tried to be conservative again. Um, but I'd learned too much. Yeah. <laughs> so I Question. couldn't be, a neocon anymore you know yeah what about what did you find about libertarianism incompatible with your christianity well with with the um cosmopolitan side with the cosmopolitan style i saw Mm -hmm. like that this like i needed it wasn't enough to be like i am pro legalization of marijuana i had a, i had to myself be all into drug culture i had to not just be like i, can, I don't want to throw prostitutes in prison i had to celebrate sex work 
And I right. was like, I'm just not going there. Like, like that one especially right, right, was right. kind of a, I can't celebrate sex work. I can say I don't want to throw them in prison, but I'm just, my morals won't take me there. And, and like the same thing with like homosexual marriage, I could be like, I could, I could see the whole, like, I'm not, I can't put in law this, but I can't celebrate it too because of my religious convictions. And, and so, um, it was things like that where I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't go all the way to celebrating it. Um, and that's when, sure. when I came out of my political fast, I saw these people calling themselves Christian libertarians. And I was like, oh, oh, interesting. And uh, they were talking about how this, this concept of thin libertarianism. And I was like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I was thinking before, but I didn't know there right. was a thing for that. Like I could right. say, I don't want to throw them in prison, but I don't want to do it or celebrate it or anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I didn't know this was an option. And so now that I know it's an option, okay, I'm willing to dive in. And, and, uh, and that's what I did. Yeah. And really the, the transition from regular libertarian to anarchist was very quick because I just asked someone in a conversation. So why not become an anarchist? And they responded exactly. And I went, Oh, i had a similar situation with that when i asked my friend carl i was like i'm done with all this stuff can i just be an anarchist and he was like well you could be an ancap and i was like what's an ancap and then that led to tom woods and it yeah. you know and like i i, I don't even use you know I, I don't even use the vernacular of ancap or like if i'm on like this is one thing i've talked about a little bit here and there but i don't Unless, so I have different phrases for different people that I talk to. So if you are just someone I don't really know, I'll say I'm basically libertarian. And if you know what libertarian is, I'll say I'm an, I'm, I'm essentially an anarchist. And then if you know, if you're, you're that far and you're Christian, I go, well, I don't really use the word anarchist in the same way that you would. But if you really boil it down, I'm a patient monarchist. I believe that there is a king, one king who is Jesus, yeah. and I'm waiting for him to come back. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't need the, I don't need the rest of it. I don't need the men. I I I yeah. etc. And so I feel like you understand that probably yeah. better than and Jessica, of course, more than a lot of other people. Maybe. So but you know, you can't you can't exactly just throw around the word monarchist without Thaddeus Russell going, Oh, are you a uh Curtis are you a uh mold buggyan? Oh, no. No, I don't. I don't want the Stuarts to take over the crown and, and lead us all. Sure. That's not what I'm into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's a. You just got to be patient. It's sometimes like, yeah, like you say, there's different situations to use different words, and right. like, most people go to my church are not ready for the A word. You know, they're they're yeah. not they're not ready for that word, and so I kind of just stick to libertarianism, um, and. You know, uh, if, yeah, I just, I stick to that word. And also it's essentially correct. Like I, I'm, I agree with, right. uh, with, uh, um, Stephen Kinsella heavyweight who, uh, says that consistent libertarianism is ANCAP, but, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was so quick. Wow. Whoever's running your ticker is the best. Well done. That's me. Uh, that's me tonight. <laughs> nice work. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think you know, I, I essentially agree with him, and so it's not like I'm lying. I'm just saying, like I know that that one, that word, uh, yeah, Hoppy, and you know, they're they're not ready for that kind of distinction either. Like it's just kind of you keep you keep it simple, and people yeah, think and you know what, think they know, they think they know what you believe at that point, and sometimes you just right. let them. 
because right. it's not well, and, and, and that's the thing. Yeah. It, it, it depends on who I'm talking to and whether or not I'm interested in persuading them or having a longer discussion. Yeah. Like for me, if I'm being honest, I use the word libertarian less and less because it's been so muddied at this point that I have to do a lot of explaining off the top. I do have to go through, oh, well, that doesn't mean that I love the idea of prostitution or this, that, or the other. Like, I don't, I, I shouldn't have to explain that. And I, I have to if I use yeah. the word libertarian. And so it's like, for me, it has very little utility anymore. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it, for the most part, I'm just like, no, I'm not interested in any of that crap. And that's just a great way to have the conversation. What do you mean you're not interested? It doesn't affect you. It all affects me, but it doesn't mean I'm going to. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I just, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but I, it doesn't that happen with everything these days? Like the way that you label yourself, no matter what you say, like if you say you're a Christian or something, someone assumes, right. so you're just like a 12th century peasant. That's how, how you think, <laughs> you know, because so much of what you're saying to a person is not what you're saying. It's what they're perceiving. And so you're not mm -hmm. saying I'm a Christian. And then you mean what you mean when you say you're a Christian, no. you're saying I'm a Christian and it's what they have constructed in their head, which right. can be all sorts of weird. And usually yeah. is. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think, and I'm, obsessed, I think I'm obsessed with ideas. Like that's really yeah. what, what gets me going is the concept is just messing with ideas. And so I end up really dry. Like I end up grabbing a whole ton of labels for myself, you know, like, I, right. and so that does make it helpful. Like if I'm talking to a person who wants me to be conservative, yeah, I'm a conservative. I mean, in, in some sense, I am a conservative. Like, I don't have to have that follow-up argument with you right now. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can just say, yeah, I'm, I mean, essentially I'm conservative in, in the sense that, not in the sense that you think maybe, but I'm I'm conservative. And sometimes I just bypass the whole argument being like, I voted for Kanye. Right. <laughs> well, and, 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 and that's the thing. Like, I, I am the same. I am obsessed with ideas, and I think that the ideas are forefront. And so for mm -hmm. me, that's why I kind of – most of the time kind of don't use labels at all because I would much rather go into the conversation using the, using the ideas and not using like super cloudy words that mm -hmm. people automatically make assumptions on. I try my best to do that. It's kind of, I've had this conversation before about, you know, using the word capitalism, C capitalism in the, the sense of Rothbard and Rand, that's a, a, a good capitalism. But like 90% of America, when they hear capitalism, they they think about the Marxist definition. They think about exploitation and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, if I can start the conversation with words that aren't that hard to get over, and like if I don't have to have a semantic argument with you before we can start talking about ideas, that's what I want. And so, yeah, you're using labels in a way yeah. to like just bypass that. And I'm just like, I don't even, that doesn't even matter. Let's I, talk about although, this cool idea. Although sometimes I'm using the labels to bait them into a discussion. Yeah. Like sometimes that's, that's kind of like, like, because I like to discuss these ideas, I'll, sometimes I'll use um, like, like uh, my, one of my theological view, uh, <laughs> uh, I, my theological view is um, we call ourselves Christian hedonists. And part of the mm. reason we use that term is because we want to bait someone into a conversation of being like, okay, so what do you mean? Well, I mean, uh, for at my right hands are pleasures forevermore in your presence. There's fullness of joy. And so the greatest jo joy and the greatest pleasures are found in God, the greatest and most long lasting pleasures. And so it's kind of like you use the term sometimes to bait people into a conversation. What do you mean by that? Right. Um, but I also have kind of a backup to be like, 
I've got also idea uh, terms that I can use um, to avoid the conversation too, you know, yeah. and and like um, I especially because I work in the church and a lot of people want you to be a Republican, you know, yeah. and um, and sometimes it's just not worth the conversation. So sometimes just being like, yeah, I'm a conservative is good enough to bypass a conversation. Um, they mm-hmm. they make assumptions about you, and I don't correct the assumptions. Yeah, um, and I just let them move on, you know. Well. Speaking... That's a hard one. Go ahead. That's a hard one for me because I actually come from the left and I was a Bernie Sanders supporter. And so when someone calls me a conservative, there's this little inner part of me that feels like insulted or baited in some way. And I'm like, what? I'm not a conservative, you know, like, and I want to fight with them about it. But at the same time, I'm just like, for your purposes, I am, I guess. Uh-huh. And yeah, so I see what you mean about that. So more and more, I found myself just because I take positions like, you know, free speech is probably a good thing. Um, Yeah, fine. I'm a conservative because I believe in free speech. And it's crazy. It just like points out how much the window has shifted to where someone like myself, who used to be considered a liberal is now, you know, uh, apparently a right winger. And it's that's Mm -hmm. difficult. It, it 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 stings a little in a way. Yeah, and I'm I'm not as allergic to the right wing label as as some libertarians are. Like I I'm okay with it. In fact, I would largely consider myself a creature of the right, even as a libertarian. Like uh, I I've I would favor order. Like I'm definitely not like a collapsitarian. I don't think that that's beneficial. I I would prefer order. Um, but it's kind of like I don't know. It's it's like. There's so many times like uh, I don't know you 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 have to make a decision in the moment right you've got to make a decision in the moment like am I willing to have a conver- have a debate right now or am I will or do I want to bypass it like you know like I, I often say like libertarians who make their entire identity about libertarianism are bad libertarians because libertarianism is saying that politics should only make up this much of my life and so if I'm making this my whole life then. Then, then you're not really being a good libertarian. Like you've got to have other things that you do, like everything, other things that define you. You know. But, I just got yeah. a message. I just That's got a message awesome. in my group chat um, that said, uh, "Cam is live. He never tells us. He's just suddenly on my YouTube talking to homeless people." <laughs> That's me. That's me. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is uh, this last Sunday was Easter. And uh, there were there were two examples of tweets from politicians that or people, at least aspiring politicians, that made me very unhappy. Um, One of them was from because and it's let me explain in advance. It's because they use Christianity as a tool. They use Jesus as a tool or a weapon against people to get their way. That is that is why I get frustrated. Um, the first one was from a, I think he's trying to be a politician, Gary Chambers. He said, uh, for the record, my Jesus had skin like bronze, black, hair like wool, black. The government killed him and he was unarmed, black. But they couldn't stop him from shaking <laughs> the foundation of the world, black. Let the record be clear, my Jesus is black. Uh, and so, of course, I retweeted that. And I said... What's really cool that this day and age we can just create our own Jesuses. Mine has uh, <laughs> has laser gun hands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Absolutely the most amazing Jesus I've ever heard of. Dude. <laughs> like uh it was but it's 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 that and then uh Reverend Raphael Warnock out of Georgia. Uh he tweeted and then deleted this. But he tweeted the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Wow. That's Pelagianism. That's an heresy <laughs> that the church has gotten together and universally condemned. That is what that is. Oh, my goodness. What was the word you used? I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. Pelagianism. Uh, it's named after the, the a monk named Pelagius, who argued that um, humans are born good and mm -hmm. can do good, but only fall through imitation. Um, Augustine, who was the heavyweight of his day, uh, he got uh, Augustus. Sorry, uh, Augustine. My goodness. Okay, I've had I've had too much to drink already. He comes in and he. He smacked that down, and the church got together and declared that heresy. It's been ever since. My goodness, if he just sat and, and if he just paid attention a little bit in history, in his church history class, he would have known that's wrong. Ugh. I it was I was very upset about that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just well, that is an eleven dollar word, and I congratulate you on it. <laughs> well, here's the fun thing. Um, speaking of old church fathers, uh, Santa Claus himself did not like her heretics. S the right. Saint Nicholas. Hold up. I forget wh which, I don't, you, I'm sure you know which council it was. Um, but apparently there was a, a person who was speaking heretically and Saint Nicholas comes in and just slapped a fool. Yeah. His <laughs> tradition says... That when Arius, the heretic, the first century heretic, who came up and said that Jesus is not God, that he was a created being, that the, the story goes that St. Nicholas was so offended that he just walks up and punches the guy. So he punched the heretic in the face. And so that's kind of my favorite part about Christmas is every year be like, like you, you post a picture of, of uh, Santa and say, I came to give presents to children and punch heretics and I'm all out of presents. Damn, Santa is <laughs> lit. Santa's hardcore. Yeah, you don't that's mess pretty with Santa. <laughs> so one of the things that has been increasing as of late, I don't know if you saw this, but do you know that John Piper has a son named Abraham? Yeah. Abraham Piper Bro, is on I TikTok. just said I'm a Christian hedonist, which means <laughs> I worship at the altar of John Piper. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i was trying to remember who it was but no his son is on tiktok now and he? he goes oh he goes he goes on tiktok to just talk trash about christianity like oh that's yeah yeah his Aww. whole thing he's um one. it's, a, it's yeah, something but there's a lot of yeah. like deconstructionism talk which you know, I, I i get annoyed with these different labels that people use because usually they come out of some they come at it from a pretentious angle. But over the last 10, 12 years, I've spent a lot of time refining, understanding, and challenging the views that I've had since I was a kid that I was taught from my parents. And so one of those that I've started to dip my toes in is um, the uh, eschatology. Santa it's, can break the nap, bro. <laughs> it's eschatology. It's uh, an apocalypse into the world as people 
like to talk about it. And one of the mm-hmm. ideas that has been interesting to me uh, more than the others has been uh, preterism, which, you know, I, I could throw partial in front of it, but I think, you know, people who are preterists are like, no, 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 not the crazy ones. But um, <laughs> I did want to ask you about that somewhat because, you know, in the world of American Christianity and Schofield Bibles, uh, there's the concept of the rapture and left behind and all of this. And that isn't a concept that's talked about a lot is eschatology outside of um, dispensationalism, which these are a lot of words that people who are listening right now may not know. The left behind worldview is actually not the, not the traditional worldview. So I, to the detriment of my audience who probably doesn't care, um, could you give a very brief synopsis of what that means, what that looks like, you know, looking at the first century as what where revelation mostly sure. took place so to in in a word uh heresy go israel no i'm just kidding uh uh so uh the, what's really funny is like when you throw out these words of of like premillennial dispensationalism these are big words like you call them like eight dollar words you know like but the the idea behind it is so has become so popular and so ingrained in modern mythology that most people are um, most people believe it without knowing what they're believing, you know. Um, it's this concept that what's going to happen is in the end times, Jesus is going to come back, he's going to take the Christians out, they're going to disappear in, in the middle of the night, and they're going to fly up into the sky, and and you know, their, cl- their clothes are going to fall on the ground, and Christians will be taken out, and then there's going to be seven years that are horrible, terrible, awful. <clears throat> and that everything is going in that direction. Everything is going downhill. The world is going to go suck and suck and suck and suck. Um, and then, uh, and that's like, the truth is people, it's become so popular lately that people don't even realize that it's a relatively new concept. Um, the church for, for generations did not believe um, this. They didn't believe this concept of, of uh of a seven-year literal um, tribulation, of a secret rapture, um, things like that. And they, in fact, most people don't even realize that the belief that revelation is all in the future is not a, was not actually the common view throughout much of church history. Um, yeah, like it's and, and preterism is simply that the word itself means it's Latin. I don't, I'm not great with Latin, but um, it basically means it happened already. And so the idea is that, um, <laughs> that's my boy, Darabelli. He's our third, uh, third, uh, host. Sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm he said, can you please mute IOAN cap? Please. Nobody wants to hear that. My ears make it. That's stop. my boy. That's my boy. Um, uh, he's our third podcast. host. he's a great guy. He's the, he's the Bitcoin guy. Um, so the idea of, of preterism, and again, there's like two variations, or really three, um, but two variations largely is the partial preterist and the full preterist. And it largely comes down to whether or not you believe that everything that Jesus predicts in Mark 13 already happened, or if you believe that some of it is yet to come. Um, and a lot of it has to come, it comes down to like when you believe certain books were written, 
and uh, discussions like that. And uh, I, I do find myself, I'm, I'm a partial preterist myself. I believe that everything in Mark 13, except the return of Jesus has been fulfilled. And that includes much of what's written in Revelation. Oh my gosh. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah. And so. <laughs> I, had, I was talking to Cam about this earlier today. That's why you're blowing my mind. Please continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> Basically, um, you look at Mark 13 and you, especially context. This is again, the biggest problem that most people run into is they try and interpret verses or passages out of either literary context or historical context. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus starts his discussion of the end times, it starts with them, the, his disciples, looking at the temple and being like, oh, look at the beautiful stones, Jesus. And Jesus says, you think they're beautiful? Not one stone will remain that is not thrown down. And so he is talking about yep. the end of the temple. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then his disciples are like, well, what, what, what's the sign of this? And he's like, okay, well, here, let me tell you. And so all of Mark 13, he describes this whole all the uh, signs that are going to lead up to the fall of the temple. And then he says, and then you'll see Christ. Uh, you'll see the son of man coming on the clouds. And, and that's a, a, a reference to um, the end judgment. Um, but how so, a lot of people would describe this is like um, when the old Testament predicted the coming of Jesus, they predicted it as an end of the world thing. It's not Jesus, sorry, the Christ. So the Messiah is going to come, and then it's the end. Um, but it's kind of like two mountains, that as you get closer to them, you see there's a distance between the two. There's a distance between the coming of the Christ and the end of all things. Well, it's the same thing with the Mark 13 and parallels the description of the, the fall of Jerusalem and the return of Christ. As you get closer, you see there's a further diff- dis- distance between the two mountains than we thought. And so really, this is the big thing with the tribulation, as people describe it, is the tribulation is supposed to follow directly after the fall of the temple. So where is the tribulation? Right here. You are here. We are in the middle of the tribulation, which is why the book of Revelation begins with John saying, "I am, this is from John, your partner in the tribulation. Mm-hmm. I am part of this with you. Because it's written after the fall of Jerusalem, probably right after the fall of Jerusalem. And I am here with you in the midst of the tribulation, waiting for the conclusion when Christ returns. And so we are in the tribulation. One of the interesting things that I've come across a slightly longer um, explanation of recently is um, 666, 616, as others say, which, you know, people take you know, the mark of, I believe that's what people call the mark of the beast. Um, well, it is the mark of the beast. Yeah. yeah. But, but they believe it's like a chip in your forehead, um, but, <laughs> or a tattoo on your hand or something. Mm. Um, but one of the things that came across uh, was something I'd heard before, but it was repeated, I think two days ago in a video I watched was how 666 is actually, uh, John talks about it being a man. The, you know, the beast being a man and it, the mark being 666, which is a code which would have been in the first century decoded by Jews and not by other people to spell out the name Nero. Nero. Yeah. That's, so, that's, that's actually exactly what it is. And that's actually yeah. and, and really um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird thing where popular interpretations of Revelation run wild with this speculation over this. But every scholar 
conservative, liberal together is, is all like, this is the only thing, for one thing, that's what explains the textual variant. That this is there's certain texts of the Old Testament or the, sorry the New Testament, most of them have six six six, which is why it's what's written in most of our Bibles. But some of them have six one six. Well, why would it change? It's because the that number, spelling. yeah, one of them is for the Greek spelling of Nero, and one of them is for the the Latin spelling of Nero. You add the numbers of his letter together because that's what they did: alphabets and numbers. Like they didn't have numerical whatever. It was A stands for one, B stands for two, and you add up his numbers, you get six six six. And also that connects with the fact that he there is a on the beast one of the heads is slain with a mortal wound and yet it seems to be alive again but well, the time there was this understanding that nero who had recently died would come back to life again the nero redivivus myth it was very common like that nero would become would come back to life and everyone hated nero not just the christians and so <laughs> so 666 was the number of the beast and it very clearly refers to nero and also like the hand and the forehead thing there's also like this is another situation where out of context reading is important because uh, uh, earlier in the book of Revelation, the believers have the name of God written on their head or their their hand. Yeah. So if it's not literal for believers, it's not literal for the beast either. Like it's clearly metaphor, you know, like this is right. the whole point of the book of Revelation and of of apocalyptic literature in general is that it's. It's metaphor. Right. And I think it's interesting that identifying with Nero or with the Roman state as Nero was the head of was very clearly being frowned upon in that, that instance and in that yes. metaphor. And yes. that I believe continues to this day mm-hmm. with, with our own whore of Babylon over here. <laughs> Yes. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting because I gave a sermon, an anarchist sermon before I was an anarchist because I was <laughs> what's so funny is because I, I, I likewise came out of dispensationalism because, you know, yay Israel. But uh, right. I came out of that and I was kind of like, I don't know what I understand about Revelation. I'm just going to avoid it for a while. And then yeah. I got um, hired at a church and there, and I was like, all right, so what are we preaching through? And he's like, revelation, go figure. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and then he says, I'm going to be gone this week. This is the one you're, you're going to do. And it was on the whore of Babylon. And uh, when you, when you interpret that passage with, again, put it in historical context, they describe her as a lady who sits between seven Hills. Everyone reading that would have known exactly who he's talking about. Rome. Rome is the lady who sits between seven hills. That was, everyone knew that. And so when you call the whore of Babylon, the lady who sits between seven hills, that's Rome. And so I started studying for this and I started thinking, how do I preach this? And that was around the time that like someone on the right and someone on the left both said something horrible. And I, I basically told, my whole sermon was, Rome is still a whore. And saying, like, uh, the, the center of power, whore, who sells out for power. And it's so funny because that was, like, the most anarchist sermon I've ever given. And I wasn't an anarchist yet. <laughs> but, but like, I, I've just followed that, that impulse all the way through. And, you know, you look at <clears throat> intent, the metaphors of, of Revelation 13, 
And if you look at it in the context of the day, the beast is Rome. And the whore is, mm-hmm. is the city of Rome. The Roman Empire is the beast. The city of Rome is the whore. And she is, and she is a whore. She's like, she's, she's willing to sell herself out for power. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, it's straightforward. And, and, yep. and that has a huge effect on the way we should view the state, like you say. One of the things oh. I was going to ask is you changed your mind on revelation and on eschatology. Are there any other points in, I mean, you changed your mind on the state and how you, you relate to that with either of those things or anything else. Are there any other big ideas that you questioned and changed your mind on that you think would be valuable for other people to do the same questioning on? It's a good question. Um, you know, like, like I say, I'm still relatively, uh, of a conservative Christian mindset. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that I confirmed, but for like that, as I studied it, I confirmed it more. Um, Mm -hmm. like there's, there's some issues. Like I, I, um, I grew up, uh, I grew up Presbyterian, but I'm a Baptist, but I was always kind of a Baptist. Um, theological theologically identify with kind of the broadly reformed uh tradition um and i i never it's really more that i had never really thought through my theology before Mm -hmm. and i kind of uh i kind of through studying the bible through studying church history and tradition i i became settled in a a stream of of theology that i wasn't part of before um, mm-hmm. or, or, or really just kind of like, there were a lot of things that I think weren't important that are more important. Um, I don't know. There's a lot, like, I mean, you talk to me 90% of the time, I'm, I'm kind of a conservative normie when it comes to Christian views and stuff like that. Like, like if Thaddeus Russell thinks you guys are a conservative Christian podcast, wait till he meets me. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's more that like, um, like honestly, those two things are such huge deals in, in much of the conservative church that it feels like a huge departure to leave the the left behind consensus view of end times and to leave behind the status consensus of 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 Romans thirteen, you know. Right. And but but much of it has let. It's not like I'm leaving the Bible to do so. I feel like I'm getting more into the Bible and realizing like you're you're the ones who have left the bible like you're reading right. into your your modern conceptions or conceptions and and understandings in order to understand these things yeah. well that's that's one of the conversations i kind of had with jessica i don't know if it was yesterday or today just yeah, talking about how about how important context is and not just not just context within you know because a lot of people talk about context and they're they're purely talking about where the verse is in the chapter in the book in the canon where a lot of people are missing historical context they're missing um regional uh regional religious context they're they're missing all different parts of this conversation and so it's like when someone comes in and wants to talk about christianity but uh, has never been friends with a christian 
or known mm-hmm. Christians, they're not going to be able to have that conversation because they will have never been pointed to the kind of the finer contextual points that I just love. Like one of the ones, one of the things that I've been really looking into within the last year has been the second temple period and how the people understood different things when Jesus came onto the scene, because that really colors how he talked about stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot like you can't read Paul without understanding who Timothy was, where Timothy was and what was going on in Ephesus. Like you, you can't just read it and go, okay, I'm going to take these, these words right here and apply them directly to everyone for all time. It's like, you have to know what the point was in order to, you know, pull out any parallelisms or anything that applies to you. Like you can't, because there are some things that if, if you didn't like, we'd still be eating, we still wouldn't be eating barbecue. If some people, because there are a lot of people who read the Bible as the, as if barbecue is not allowed. And those are not the people that I want around me. I don't want to live a life without pulled pork. So that's been an issue right. for me, actually, because I'm new to Christianity. It's something that sort of has developed in my life over the maybe last two and a half years. And I'm reading the Bible without context and being like, wait a minute. And it's funny because I came to a lot of the same conclusions that you did about Rome. Um on my own, just sort of being a student of history. I'm like, oh, well, this is obviously Rome. I mean, this is what it would have been going on in their time. And that raises all sorts of questions for me because I didn't know about, like, for example, the the James Jesus, James led Jesus movement at the beginning, or that, you know, like Mark is much closer in time than these other books are. And that offers context that as each one of these books goes along, it develops with the sociopolitical arena of that writer's time kind of gets implanted on it. So like the further you get away from the original people who knew Jesus or were around Jesus, isn't it kind of a departure? And then you say, okay, there are these councils and these councils all got together and they decided what was and what wasn't. And I'm like, well, okay, well, how do I know that those guys made the good, good decisions? You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm, completely brand new to this. I've read three books of the Bible. I've read Mark, I've read Luke, and I've read Matthew. And mm-hmm. just sort of uh, trying to like muddle my way through this with historical context is difficult. There's so it's like um, information overload. And I'm sitting here going, are we not supposed to be eating pork? And no one told me that. <laughs> like, I'm genuinely confused a lot. And I'm like, some of this stuff seems like things people put in later. And like, I don't know. So can you offer me maybe a little um, mooring um, or some kind of like touchstone from where to go? Yeah. um, Well, I mean, the first thing you need to know, I I always say there's at least two questions you need to ask of every text. The first one is what did it mean? And then what does it mean? So uh, what did it mean is kind of the first question you always ask. Like, what did it mean to the people for whom it was first written? Um, uh, Or what did it mean to the people who were living it at the time? So, like, I I take, for example, um, Genesis uh, 22, the uh, uh, um, Jacob meets God and wrestles him in the desert. Um, So what did it mean to Jacob? 
That's the first question you ask. Like, look at the situation itself. What does this mean to him? What does it mean without any context? Second question you ask, what did it mean to the people that it was written to? So I believe that Genesis was written. I, I'm Again, I'm a conservative normie. So I believe that, conser- that uh, Moses wrote it, but I believe that it's written fourth in order. So I believe it's written to the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land. So what did this passage mean? To Israelites who are about to enter the promised land. And then, then you've got other questions to ask, like, what did this mean to the developing Hebrew consensus? You could ask it a hundred different situations, right? Like, what did it mean to people in David's day? What did it mean to people in uh, the, the later prophet's day? What did it mean to people in Second Temple Judaism, as, as Cam brought up, which is the, the era in which Jesus came, um, mm-hmm. which is a big question. Like, what did it mean to those people? And then there's a question of what does it mean to those who are in Christ, which is a specific question. Like there's a, the, the Old Testament is called the Old Testament because it was written to the Old Covenant believers. Testament and covenant are kind of two, the Latin version and the Hebrew version or something like that. You know, they're basically the same word, covenant, testament. Okay. Um, but the Old Covenant refers to the Moses covenant, the covenant written to Israel by Moses uh, uh, that was supposed to rule over the people of Israel. Right. Um, That was written for a time and place and a purpose for the people of Israel to keep them separate from the rest of the world until the coming of Christ. And then Christ ushers in the new covenant. Now you can, you can, there's some discussion about how close are the old covenant, the new covenant. Like Presbyterians get it this close. Uh, some people put them these far away. I'm a Baptist, so I'm more like this. Uh, but but like there is a change that happens because of the new covenant, because of Christ coming in. One major difference is that instead of just being for one nation, it now goes to all nations. And and that alone is going to make for, for differences. When it comes to the New Testament, we ask we don't have to ask as many questions. Um, like the, you don't have to follow through a, it's in a different covenant now. Like, like, okay. A big thing when people bring up the book of judges and the book of Joshua, there was this conquest of the promised land and being like, Oh, so should we take up swords and, and conquer the world for Christ for that? Well, no, the old covenant was written for a specific people at a specific time for a specific mm-hmm. purpose. And the purpose was Christ. Yeah. And now that Christ has come, we don't we don't belong to that context anymore. That time has passed. And now it's, the church goes forth with this with a different sword. It's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God proclaimed to all nations. And so, so is that what I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Is that what Jesus means when he says that I'm not here to I'm not sure exactly what he says, but he's like, I'm not here to destroy the old law, I'm here to fulfill it. And is that so he's fulfilled the old covenant? Yeah. And then we have the a covenant, new yeah. right. Yeah, the new covenant. Now, this is getting into a lot of uh, hermeneutical issues about how much of the law is is abro- the word is abrogated because it's not abolished. It's just the purpose of it has come to an end. Like how much of it has ended and how much of it continues. But see, this is an important the, question. Yeah, yeah. But I'll say that largely most people agree that what has ended is the dietary 
uh, restrictions because that is part of the ceremonial restrictions. Like there were certain, okay. the reason we had it's to, to only certain well. animals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the ceremonial restrictions were about, you had to be pure so you could enter the enter into worship but the purity, our purity is from Christ because Christ died on the cross. He fulfilled the whole ceremonial law. All of ceremonial law points to the, the death of Christ. And so he fulfills that. Also the civil law, because like you said, the civil law would be like uh, the laws for Israel. Like we stone a, an adulteress. Well, it's because, the adulter- because uh, they were to be a nation without adultery because they particularly were not supposed to be adulterous to the God who had married them in the wilderness. Uh, and so it was kind of all a metaphor. But we don't stone adulteresses anymore because we are not a uh, we are not a theocratic Israel. We now are the gospel goes out to all nations, not just to one nation. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, what we do with the moral law is somewhat of a discussion still. I tend to be more of the idea that the morals, like the Ten Commandments, that continues. Um, right. But some some people would discuss that. But like yeah. That's really that's what he means by he fulfills the law. He fulfills all of the Mosaic covenant. So we are not under that anymore. But okay. um but yeah, yeah. yeah. So eating and, pork uh, is fine is what you're saying. So eating pork is fine. Yeah, and and that's actually directly de- de- uh declared in uh Acts 10 where uh Jesus lowers a curtain and says uh take and eat but it's all a bunch of unclean foods and peter's like wait what I, i've never eat unclean food and he says do not declare unclean what god has declared clean so that was for one thing it's a literal statement that the food is open but <laughs> but in a in a metaphorical sense he's saying this is moving we're moving out of the old covenant we're moving mm-hmm. into the new covenant situation that was for setting you apart now is a different situation um yeah but yeah i think that one of the answers to your question is is all just is super simple is like like he said you need to look into who it was written to or what what that was for who that was for and that's like for reading the the new testament that's step one is mm-hmm. find out because matthew was written to the jews mm-hmm. and so you if when you read matthew you have to read it through the lens of judaism Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Mark was written, I, I, I think I probably tend more towards the conservative side of things like this as well, which, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically fully that minus some other points, but Christian serve podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing I would, I, I'm not remotely a progressive Christian whatsoever. Uh, but there are some things that I think if you go back into the tradition, it's different than what we have now. The same is with eschatology and all of that. Um, but, you know, when you're reading Mark, I do believe that it was uh, written by or it was scribed down by Mark through Peter. Mm-hmm. And so then and if you look at um, all the, the Gospels, so many of them take Mark and you take the, the guts of Mark and then mm-hmm. put yeah. it towards different audiences. And so that's yeah. one thing. It's like all, what people seem to forget that all of Paul's letters are letters two people we're reading someone's mail Mm -hmm. and so when you were reading someone's mail you don't the first thing you do is you don't read a love letter and think oh he's talking to me you think who's he talking to why is he why is he saying this why does he love this person etc and so when you're starting with that and i think it applies to 
politics, history, all over the place, is mm-hmm. finding the audience, finding, reading the letters and understanding what they are. And so when you re- when you get past, John's a great book, probably top got one of the top four gospels for me. Um, but I would definitely recommend that once you get past the gospels and you move into Paul's letters, mm-hmm. step one is let's find out what the heck was going on in Corinth. Let's see what was going on in Ephesus, all of these other places. What the hell's up with Philemon? Let's figure that one out. You know, like there's a lot where you, you go in and you have to go, okay, so what do I know? Because I'm reading someone's mail. And if I make the assumption that this is all about me on a plain reading, I'm going to get it wrong. So, so can I ask, yeah. I'm sorry to break in. I have a question though. It is <laughs> Paul, not something of a um, controversial character being that he is apart from the other apostles. I don't even know if I'm using the right word here, but like he didn't know the guy. He wasn't part of the original movement. There was this sort of split between the people who had known Jesus in life. And then Paul, who was trying to take everything mainstream and it do, do people like argue, I would think they would argue over whether this is a departure or not. And, and, is it is it okay to follow Paul's ways? Do we fully take Paul at his word? And how do you know? How do you know that? Well, okay. So Paul himself kind of takes that issue up in in the Book of Galatians, um, where he talks about how like he met with members of the church and they <laughs> affirmed his gospel. Um, the truth is interesting. Paul is an interesting character because he simultaneously is in some ways, uh, a new thing. Because, yeah, he didn't mm-hmm. interact with Jesus in life. And yet he's interesting because why would he come to Christianity? Like, he had every incentive in the world not to become a Christian. He held some coats. Like he, what's that? I said he held some That's coats right. while Steve, right. Stephen was, was stoned to death. Yeah, he was anti-Christian. Right. And there doesn't he was make a persecutor. Yeah, he, it doesn't make any sense why he would start change his tune, except if he actually met the resurrected Jesus. It's one of the hardest issues for the anti-resurrection perspectives to be like, so what about what about Paul? But I think also, like, this is something that maybe most people don't realize is that the Gospels were written pretty late yeah. in the history of the church. Right. That's another thing I was going to bring up. Go ahead. I'm Most sorry. and I was just probably written at the same time about same time ish as the Book of Romans. So Paul had been writing yeah. letters a long time before the Gospels even were written, and uh, and yeah, it represents actually it that Paul actually represents probably a more historical Christianity than even some like John. Like John is a much more mature um, Christianity. He's been thinking about it for years and and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of times, one of the one of the things about Judaism and the Jewish people is that up they were a very they they specialized in oral tradition and oral teaching mm-hmm. for and you know Moses wrote it down, uh, all these different people the the prophets or someone wrote down the the words of the prophets for them, but you know you look at the apostles and a lot of by the time that they wrote these they were nearing the end. And so it was codifying the oral tradition of the mm-hmm. past 60 years, somewhat. Which I imagine they would have felt they needed to do, being as their temple had been destroyed and, you know, 
the Romans had the upper hand on them and all of that. Although this is something that I've been really um, pushing lately is, is really looking into is I take a very, this is part of the partial preterism in me is that I have started pushing up the dating of the new Testament a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think three of the four gospels were written before the fall of Jerusalem, before the fall of the temple. I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all three written before the vault, the fall of the temple. And the, the my main reason for that is because of the way they described the fall of the temple. There were certain details that became just like fire. They burned the temple. And that is a huge deal to Jerusalem to this day. They burned the temple. And yet they don't mention fire at all in the destruction of the temple. Like that's such a big deal that if they were writing after the temple, there's no way they wouldn't have just have have put into Jesus's mouth that there's a fire. Like mm-hmm. there's the the description of the of the fall of the temple is he says like yeah yeah stones thrown down. Well, they would have described fire, um, and so and also because I uh, uh, the book of Acts and the book of Luke clearly go together, and. Yes. Uh, and, and the book of Acts is written in a way that it kind of leaves off in a cliffhanger. Well, that's because I take the, the idea that this is essentially a legal, bl- a legal brief because Paul is in prison. It's catching up mm. with where Paul is. And they're writing a legal brief to say, we're not, we're not trying to tear down Rome. And we're, we're just a believing Christians, you know, like this, this is what we are. And so, um, Essentially, they're laying out Luke to describe who Jesus is and Acts to describe what Paul has been doing and to essentially say, we're not tearing down your empire. And so just let us go. <laughs> um, and so I, I take and so if you understand it like that, well, then this is taking place at most maybe A.D. 63 and the fall of the Jerusalem temple happens in A.D. 70. Um, it's a big deal. It's kind of a tent peg sort of thing. Um, and so Luke, Mark, Matthew, all written before the fall of, of the temple. And, and also the way we understand that also um, the way the New Testament letters are written, Romans is written, we're pretty sure, AD 57, because that's when Paul is wintering in Corinth. And that's uh, he's about to head back to Jerusalem, which is where he will be captured by the Jews, put on trial, he'll appeal to Caesar, and then he'll travel to Rome. And it, it was in AD 57 when he appeared, when he, when he winters in, in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And so, and also uh, Corinthians is written probably earlier. And so probably our earliest letters are Galatians, first and second Thessalonians, and maybe James, depending on if you, if you think that James is responding to, a um kind of a straw man view of paul like it seems like like a misunderstanding of paul's teaching is what james is responding to which would make most sense if it's written before james actually had a chance to talk to paul because otherwise he would have done what peter does which is say some people are skewing paul's teaching but james doesn't even mention paul's name so it makes sense to maybe say maybe he's not sure if this is actually what paul is teaching so if he's not going to name Paul in case he's not teaching this, he's not going to name Paul because he's in case he is teaching this. He's just saying, if you believe this, it's wrong. So don't believe it. 
<laughs> but but uh hmm. yeah but as but since i'm moving up all the all the dates of of the but moving up all the dating of the the books does something interesting for like say the big one romans 13 because if romans is written in ad 57 then when paul says we submit to the authorities not just because of conscience sake but because they punish the evil and reward the good in that day and time it was true like that's what they were doing at that time all of the persecution was coming from the jewish people and the roman people were the ones standing in the way mm-hmm. when paul gets taken and he's about to get beaten to death by the jews the romans come in and mm-hmm. stop it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when he appeals to caesar he does that because he's like this is going to get me out of this hot water with the jews like at that time, they, it was true. However, when the book of Revelation is written, which is probably more like AD in the, the year 70 or beyond, the situation has changed because Nero has been burning Christians alive in his in his uh, in his palace. And suddenly, what do they say about Rome now? They say he's a beast and a whore. Rome's a beast and a whore because they've they've it's shown its true colors. This leads me to an interesting question. Um, do you agree with Bob Murphy that Thaddeus Russell is an antichrist? <laughs> okay, that depends on how you understand antichrist. Uh, yeah. I said Anne, not the. <laughs> Anne. Yeah, yeah. Anne. That's important because uh, there is a truth of like um, antichrist. This is this is where it's important that we remember that bo- the book of Revelation was written by the same guy who wrote the first, second, and third John. It's because in yeah. that he says, you hear Antichrist is coming, and I'm telling you that Antichrist is already here. There are many Antichrists among you. And he says, test the spirits because there's the spirit of God and there's the spirit of the Antichrist. And so that's the, the, the context in which I guess if you want to say it that way, sure. <laughs> <laughs> hold up hold up how do you test the spirits uh against the word of god against uh the tr- the the gospel like at the time they they would have had um i mean they've got the old testament writings they've also got the the gospel as proclaimed um in the church um you know like romans oh. is kind of a exposition of that gospel and yeah okay all right well Joseph Smith had. I just didn't know if there had, was a quick thing. Well, Joseph Smith had the Urim and the Thummim, and uh, a, a, a you throw a bunch of bones on the ground, and and, uh, <laughs> and that's how he. That's how. Well, he maybe there's a the riddle or something. Yeah, like maybe there's a riddle that if you ask them, they don't know the answer, and you're like, mm, see, if you were the spirit of God, you would know the riddle, but you don't. <laughs> so I was thinking it would be something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) One of the questions that I always ask, and I'm now posing to you, um, is I I do not take you remotely as black pilled or doomer. I would struggle to find any Christian who believes in um, the story, the reality of Jesus, and ends up with a dismal view of the future. Because, you know, there is the hope, there is resurrection, there is the end, right? Um, so I don't take you for that. You can, you can, if you want to change my mind, you can. But what do Hardcore you think? Black 
(laughs) (laughs) What do you think is a white pill for those out there who are dealing with, you know, desperation, hopelessness, etc. in the day and age that we're living with people who would as soon turn you into the FBI as try to understand you? You know, I, I, um, I actually did a tweet of this pretty recent, like some time ago. Um, and I don't know if it was inspired by your podcast or not. It might've been, I might've been watching your podcast. <laughs> and thinking, How would I answer this question? Um, but I mean, like I kind of came up with essentially three reasons, uh, three things that prevent me from being blackpilled. Um, the one thing is, um, there's a sense in which the best way to become blackpilled is to expect too much. Yeah. Like if you, if you have high expectations of your life, if you have, um, like, I just think, I'm sorry. Like I, I know I've gotten into the LP and I've started playing with that, but like they're saying freedom in our lifetime is stupid. That's a ridiculous phrase. Like that's such a stupidly high view. Like that's, there's no way it's going to happen. It's impossible. You're setting yourself up for failure. If you, if you are an anarchist and your hope is to be uh, uh, attain anti-state, a stateless society in your lifetime, that's stupid. It's not going to happen. However, we can carve little bits of freedom into our lives and we can work toward like maybe my children, maybe my grandchildren, maybe my great grandchildren, like have realistic goals. If you have realistic goals, you're not going to become as black pilled. Like if your if your goal is absolute abolition of the state in my lifetime, it's not going to happen. So set realistic goals, and if you're if you're if you set realistic goals, you're never going to be black pilled. And that, that yeah. and that's not just politics. That's right. life. Like set reasonable goals for yourself. And, and let me um, and let me then, just say sorry, before you before you continue, I think that that's the primary reason why so many people that I see out there that are black pilled, why they are in that doomer mindset. I think it's because they have set their expectations, they have set their um, their hope for some reason on the political system. They've set it on in like I. I, of course, I'm always going to make fun of the LP, um, but regardless of LP, the Republicans, the Democrats, whatever, any president, any man, I think that if you have it in your head that the political landscape can shift as suddenly as it would need to for absolute freedom to happen in our lifetimes, you deserve to be blackpilled. I think that if you set your expectations on men and you don't set it, I mean, in the very least from the secular viewpoint, if you don't at least set it on yourself and what you can control, mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing? You can't, you can't mm-hmm. be, you can't be white pilled and have any expectations or hopes set on the state. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and I'm not even sure I believe that statelessness in my lifetime is actually a good thing. Like you look at like Libya that went stateless overnight and it was not a good thing. I think that's too quick. I think there's a lot that needs to happen in our, before we're ready for statelessness, as much as I believe in the morality of statelessness, it's just, 
I, I, I don't think it would be positive. I think we would be like the French Revolution waiting for the next dictator to come along and take us over and promise we're going to make France great again. You know, like that's that's what's going to happen. And so I think there's there's even a sense in which setting a low goal is strategically better, you know? Yeah. But yeah. So what was your second one? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. My, my second goal is then I would say my second thing is um, so set 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 reasonable goals for your life and then celebrate small victories. I think that's the biggest thing that we can do in our life. It's like celebrate a small victory. Like maybe we're not changing the world, but I have four little boys for whom I am the world, you know, like that's, that's a big deal. That's four children in this world who didn't exist before. And that I have the chance to, if I if I take my responsibility as a father seriously, that I can be part of every step of the way, and, and I can sh- and help them to, to to view the world and to set their minds in a way that they're not going to be taken uh, taken in by the status philosophies and by the the um, simplistic ways of viewing the world. Like that's a small victory, and, yeah. and but it's a it's a significant victory. Oh, it's a um, huge victory, yeah. really. And, well, yeah. and that's and that's kind of what I, I know you know that I kind of drive at every time I talk about this is that it's in your freedom is in your hands. You choose and you have to practice freedom. I, we, we went over that, I think, pretty good, pretty at length with uh, Nicole Sauce right. in the last episode. Um, but but that's that's the that's the thing that I always mention is I have I have one more than you. I have three boys, two girls, and if I can teach them to minimize the state's power over them and to learn how to work around it, to learn how to be free, how to be a little more independent, mm-hmm. that's a, that's, my life is good. I did a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the fact great. is there are some people out there that I know who were neocons before who will say to me now that because of my Facebook posts or because of me yammering on a, yeah. <laughs> on a microphone, they go, you yeah. know, I changed my mind about this. Yeah. That's huge. And I think that when people aren't focusing on, like you said, the little things you're missing out because that's where like you have to microdose the white mm-hmm. pills. And that is de- in, independent of what, how small it yeah. is in the grand scheme. It's huge. It's the whole world, as you said, and the live, lives of these little ones and the lives of people that listen to me and Jessica yeah. have fun and talk about a Christianity for a whole episode. I'm sure we'll get <laughs> le- we may get less full on listens for this, Nerds. but that's this, that's fine. I love talking Jesus, and this is probably uh, one of the most Jesus centric episodes outside of Mike Meharry, who is just a great guy. He won't listen to this. Yeah, I think you're great, Mike. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What's but, your third you know, one? I would say. Well, also, also say on the you being one ahead of me. I'm doing my best to catch up. We're working on it every night. Just uh, we'll, we'll do our <laughs> best to catch up. Uh, <laughs> we're putting in the work. Anyway. Uh, but but like, and my third one is basically the one you started with. It's like mm-hmm. there's a truth that I have a confidence that the wicked statist. The, the blood-soaked monsters, as Dave likes, as Dave Smith likes to call them, they will be judged. They will mm-hmm. face the judgment seat of God. The one, the, the ones who said that you know, 
Psalm, Psalm 2 speaks of them. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel get together against the Lord and the Lord's anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what the kings of the earth do by definition. They reject God and reject Christ. And what does it say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Like the, the, the and that's why gonna, I feel okay yeah. about all of the derision that I put out on these fools. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's what the Lord does to them. They deserve it. And and they and but this but I know that there comes a day when they will have to face the 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 king of glory for what they did, for all of the innocent lives that the innocent blood that they spilled, the 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 wickedness that they did in this life, the the they will have to face the, the, the throne. And I know, and I have a, a confidence in this, that the one who reigns, the one who rules, the one who is the great king that no other king can do, all they do is spit in his face and do their best to, to oppose him. He will come on the clouds with glory. He will set everything right. And whatever happens in this life, I am confident in that truth. And so there's no way that if, if I look at, if the world turns, uh, if that, if the, uh, no matter how long the lockdowns go on, I know that the true king of freedom is coming. And I, I don't have to sit in like, there's no reason for me to sit in doom. I've read the end of the book. I know where their life goes. I know the situation that ends. And so it's hard to white, it's hard to black pill a person who says, who's read the end of the book and sees we win. And so I, I don't, that's why the, the black pill never made any sense to me. Right. No, like, I'm with you. Frankly, I don't have to oppose the black pill. It never made any sense to me. I I've read the end of the book. I know that tyranny dies and freedom wins. And, and so I can celebrate every small victory in that direction, knowing that I see, I've seen the, I've seen how it ends. And, uh, and I'm confident with that. Hmm. Yeah. I like I like that the king of freedom. I like that a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is for freedom. He set he set us free. That's right. Galatians. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. That's right. Um, but let me ask you the most yeah, important yeah. question of the night. Okay. And then I'll ask it again in a different way. Um, I'm so weird. I'm sorry. Uh, most important question of the night. Uh, what's your favorite thing about me? <laughs> oh, man. It, okay, you want a real answer? Or a, Give me a real uh, answer. A, a Don't answer. say my beard. Don't say my beard. Here's the real answer. Here's the real answer. You want? You, okay. I've had enough to drink, but I'm going to be super honest with you. <laughs> okay. Go. This is what I. This is what I love about you because it is something that matters to me. Um, you are a loyal person, and I. And that's something that matters a lot to me. Like that. Um, you're not a person who who pretends to be friends with someone and then moves along. Like uh, we DM all the time, and I've I've actually DM'd you less because uh, I've been trying to save up my my responses to things going on in your podcast <laughs> in case you bring them up. Uh, right. But but like after the podcast, I'll talk to you and we'll have conversations. You are a, a person who is a real friend, and uh, loyalty is a huge thing to me. Like if you call me your guy, I will die for you. Like I'm, I'm a big into that. And so, um, and so that's, that's, that's a big, that's one of my favorite, that's my favorite thing about you. Awesome. And uh, yeah. 
So this is the first of three conversations where he calls you and asks you to bury a body or rob a bank because you're such a loyal guy. I know where this is going. I've seen this movie. You're such a loyal friend. So let's, let's go into uncharted waters and see how this goes. What's your favorite thing about Jessica? Oh, what? Ooh. You don't have to answer um, that. I, <laughs> Just make something up. It's fine. Sh- no, um, mm, how do I put this into words? Sh- you, she has this, 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 ab- this ability to stand her ground in a very gracious way. I've seen it in, in, in so many of your podcasts where she won't back down and yet she's not belligerent about her, her uh, uh, disagreement. Um, and uh, that doesn't translate as well to Twitter because Twitter is Twitter. But, but I've, I've, I really enjoyed watching um, some of your interviews where you've been with someone and talking with someone who clearly fell in a different area and hmm. you didn't, you didn't back down and yet you didn't go on the attack. And that is uh, an amazing skill to have to, to not be able to, to, to not put someone on the defensive and also to, to, but, but like truth is truth and standing on what you, what you believe and what you, what you believe. Yeah. What you, who you are. And uh, that's, I've, I've been impressed by that about, the, about that with you. And I haven't, you Thank know, you. we haven't interacted a ton. So I, uh, but that's, that's what I've been interested in. <laughs> Uh, impressed by you with about thank yeah. you it's very kind of you to say <laughs> isn't it fun to ask people to give you compliments it's great no, it's so <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. i don't know why you do it I, oh yeah it's, i don't know how to awkward. take a compliment oh and and that's exactly why because malice has done it and i find oh. it so funny when they're awkwardly trying to answer it and that is that is the great thing because what's great about the question is one i'm asking for feedback and a lot of times the person doesn't know it and so they either respond with oh well your your beard is nice which is just like <laughs> throw away i'm just going to say the obvious truth um and then no there are others compliments who compliments my beard cam well so you your beard just throw these beard compliments away well isn't your beard yeah. watching this in the other room Oh, he's, he's probably asleep to be honest he's got a finite show no life. it's 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 good like i i am a firm believer in feedback in feedback you ask for and feedback that you get permission for so it's like i'm not going to give people feedback unless they ask for it because otherwise i'm a i'm a jerk and i'm not going to do that but th- that's what I'm asking for. And it's 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 yeah. really a good thing to know that I do anything well, because yeah. despite my cheery disposition and charismatic wonderfulness, I am a deeply insecure person. And so sometimes I need to hear what I'm doing right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> this is this is actually something that I've become very convicted about. Uh, What's that? Is that. Um, there's that meme that people keep showing on Twitter of like the monkey smiling, holding a, a, a fruit. And it's like a, a boy after hearing one compliment, like there's, right. there's this, this truth that like men respond so well to positive feedback and yet men are the worst about giving positive feedback. Like we are so terrible about telling people who matter to us what that they matter to us. And I'm, I'm the worst about it. Like it makes me so uncomfortable to tell, to compliment someone. <laughs> and yet 
I, I need to do it. I need to tell the people that matter to me why they matter to me. And, and it's true. Cam, like this is the first time I've been on your podcast, but we've interacted a lot on Twitter and like you do, like, I know like we, we haven't talked a lot in person. We're mostly on Twitter, but yet in that realm, you do matter a lot to me. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like you are <laughs> such a, you're, you are just a good friend and a person Thank who, you. who checks in and, and wants to talk to you and, and, bring you along for the ride like you're you are man i'm just so impressed by how much you we talked about this earlier on on dms that you are you are like just going up and but you're not like ditching people on the way you're you're bringing us all along for the ride even though you're about to interview (laughs) scott freaking horton tomorrow you're willing to bring little old worthless me on your podcast (laughs) and i am so like that just speaks so much to who you are and uh and I do. You do matter a lot to me. Like I, I'll, I'll say it. You know. Well, you're 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 definitely <laughs> one of those that I'm always happy to see you on the feed. You're. I feel like you've been on the feed less in recent days, but not or recent months. But it's like I'm always like, I always know that what's going to come out of your tweets or things we talk about is consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I I don't think we've come come into any disagreements i think but i do know that even if we did i'd still respect that consistency Mm -hmm. so um i love complimenting people i love enabling people i love to do good things but that that is something that i love so i don't know you can ask jessica how many how much adulation i throw at that girl after every episode (laughs) all deserved all true. <laughs> but I do think that we, we we need to wrap this bad boy up. So um, before we do that, um, I know that if anyone wants to find you and what you're doing, first and foremost, Twitter, they can find you at Iowa Ancap. You have you actually from what you told me in the the episode that we did that never made it out because of horrible sound issues. Um. Yeah, you you guys grew out of a Facebook page, which yeah. is facebook.com slash flyoverlib. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of a meme page, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Um, yep. And so that that's another way to find you. You also have the Flyover Libertarian podcast, which I know is on iTunes and I know is on Google, but I assume is everywhere. Um, yeah. Mostly. So just if you if you search Flyover Libertarian podcast, you're right. going to find it. It's going to be like the first. I mean, yeah. your SEO is actually great. Yeah. Like if you search yeah. the name of this podcast, you're going to find some musical. And I hate musicals. I don't know if you know this. I saw that. I hate. <laughs> I hate musicals. No, but if you search, yeah. we are the mad ones. You get us. We yeah. pop up oh, first video. Go. Yeah. I'll say. There's a few other things that I'd like to plug before before we clear. Go for it. Um, that's that's all I can. All I knew. If you hate this discussion about bible and theology uh don't worry fly over libertarian we don't get into as much of that uh but if you love it i actually recently started a new podcast with my friend uh jeff park he's a canadian but he's okay um okay we <laughs> it's called the anarchist bible study and that's a weekly podcast where we are actually going cool. through the book of revelation um okay as and seeing like what as anarchists we notice when we study that um, we're about five, uh, four or five episodes in, and uh, we're it's a weekly podcast. Um, 
there's also if you want to hear nothing political and just good um uh wholesome uh just something good whole good and wholesome i also have a podcast with my oldest son called turtle man and turtle dad because my son <laughs> invented a superhero called turtle man and i told my son that i was going to plug his podcast and so we Ooh. we do that uh together where we talk about his superhero uh of course, we have to wait until he gets his homework and his uh, uh, chores done to do that. Uh, so we're only a few episodes in, but uh, we do that. And also, I want to plug, you know, like you you talk like you really convinced me that Locals is the way to go. And so <laughs> I, I'm starting a new Locals account that I think um, everyone's going to be really interested in. Um, it's actually a Sean Aston fan club. So oh, you uh, if you just go to uh, <laughs> We Love samwise.locals.com we're gonna have that set up uh you can come on in and celebrate this national treasure with us uh, uh so yeah you <laughs> if 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 sean Aston had driven my motorcycle off of a cliff into a fiery demise i would have been happier at the end of that story <laughs> I was thinking about that for so many weeks. That that bit, I was going to end with it. I... Nailed it. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, I'm going to say thank you now for coming on. This has been fun. It, it it's it's definitely Christian baseball, and we got in we got into it. Um, I've 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 enjoyed it. Um, but I do want to let the people know. Well, first, let me just go through the 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 dumb stuff. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter at Cam Harless, if you want to find Jessica at Soup Canarchist, we do have a locals that Sean Aston is not allowed on at <laughs> themadones.locals.com. Uh, we have T-shirts. It will be in the description on the website and on YouTube. Um, we, if you want to go to the website, we are themadones.com. If you're listening to this and you sit, you think, man, I want to see how good-looking Cam's beard is. Then youtube.com slash the mad ones. Mm. Um, we also post everything to Odyssey, which I would tell you that that link, but it's the way they do it's kind of weird. Um, listen to our other shows on mlganetwork.com. And if you want 10% off some fine Italian coffee, lorenzotti.coffee, mm. promo code the mad ones. It's really but, good. I'm going to try that someday. You should. So good. <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to mention is something that that uh, Josh here already said is that tomorrow night we're going to have the Scott Horton, who I have dubbed the Encyclopedia Brown of the anti-war movement. And that's going to be exciting. If you people who are still listening have any questions or conversations that you want us to have with him, please let us know. Tweet us, etc. Um, next week we have Mike, Mike Brancatelli who used to co-host part of the problem and now is on Mike Adelic. Um, after that, Clint from Liberty lockdown, we have, we're going to have, um, Josh Smith on, on tax day. Um, and then to, Fellow to, fi right, to finish off nice. April, we have, uh, Miss Carrie Wedler and our first, okay. So we're doing something special for me. We're going to do a friends only month. 
So it's not going to be based on big. We may have some bigger names that come in on special episodes, but the Wednesday episodes are all going to be friends. And mm -hmm. so we're starting off May with um, the ever fabulous Freckles and Britt, who are mm -hmm. very close with your girl, Jessica. And I had Fre uh, not Freckles, uh, Britt on the show and we had a we had a good time. So that should be fun. I hear there's going to be canned wine. I hope they'll let me drink whiskey Always because canned wine. this this Michter's is so good, dude. It's a so little bit more to... of an expensive of a bottle, but it's so good. Just put it in a can. Okay, I can put I can do that. I'll get a Diet Coke yeah. can and fill that right up. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that is it. I do want to show you my my Scott Horton promo because I'm proud of it. And then uh, after that, I have a Christian music, a legendary Christian music song that Jessica may or may not have heard before that if she, I'm, if she hasn't, she needs to see. So we will end with that. But first, Scott Horton, that, and then we're out. Josh, thank you for coming on. I'm so glad we finally did this for real. We'll have nice to do it another time and uh, go deep again in Christianity because it's my, it's my real passion right after using comic sans in graphic design. So um <laughs> so let's 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 watch that promo, watch that music video and then we're gone. So thank thank you again Josh. Yeah. War is hell. A hell created by men to destroy other men. War is a racket and the beneficiaries are plentiful in this endless game of mass murder. If you name a country in the Middle East, you can find American involvement in their destruction. Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Syria, Yemen. We have an encyclopedia brown in this anti-war movement who stands athwart tyrants and destroyers of worlds. With a seemingly photographic memory and deep understanding of the world around us, Scott Horton is the man to go to for answers. Luckily, we caught his ear, and we'll be able to find out what we might be able to do to help in the violence. Join us for a conversation with a true hero of liberty and peace. So a reminder that will be tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Join us, flood our comments, give us good things to ask Scott, because Scott is a man who can take the a kernel of an idea and speak for two hours about it. And we want to try to break that up. We want to find out a little bit more about Scott, talk about some things that he doesn't normally talk about. So if there is anything that you've heard Scott talk about and you're like, I've heard this a lot, find us something that you haven't heard before. And with that, here's a masterpiece. Oh, good. Everyone's white, so you know it's going to be good. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. <laughs> he I looks like he's being forced to do this. I guess as well. My favorite part is the Jesus. Look how yeah, look how eager he is. There he is. That's the one. He's so Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Yes, this is Creed. This is Creed. I'm gonna tell my kids this is Creed. He taught me how to pray and how to save my soul. He 
taught me how to raise my garden to play rock and roll. The music made perfect, but the message is the same. It's just an instrument to praise his name. Sober people did not come up with this. That guitarist is hip shaking more than any Christian artist ever should. Oh, look at the beard back there. I love they were really yeah. with some diversity. It looked like he was sad that they put the camera on him. <laughs> there he is. That guitar is right there. There he is. <laughs> oh, back to that. I just want to look at that guitar all day. Hip shaking. Like, there it is. There he is. Oh, there you go. Well, I think that's enough of that. <laughs> that, that is the seminal Christian musical right. masterpiece, Jesus is My Friend by Sunseed. And if you don't love it, you're not going to heaven. That's all I have to say. Yeah. It's awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> dear Gospel nerds. Love Jesus, friend of mine. Right. Dear <laughs> nerds, dweebs, and other losers who happen to listen to this or watch it, thank you for watching. And as always, live the life you want to live, the way you want to live it, and keep them oiled, boys. <laughs>